Let's pray. Father, tonight, I thank you for your word. I thank you that we have the privilege of gazing into the word of life. Lord, I thank you that your word is true, forever true, and that we can bank on it. No matter what there's shortage of is in the world, we know we can go to you and find the supply. Lord, our prayer is that there not be a famine of the word of God, but that we fill our hearts with your word. Lord, this nation turn to you once again, and it be full of your word. God, we give you praise tonight. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, there are a lot of things going wrong in the world, a lot of things going wrong in the church, but we have received unchanging good news. You realize that? Here's what the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning of verse 13. This is from the New International Version. It says, while evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, but for you. Continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it how and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. We have the Word of God. I like, I like what it says. It says in the Greek, it, talk, it, says, it says that they are able to make you wise. The word able, the Greek word is, is derived from the word dunamis which means that it is miracle power. The Word of God has miracle power. It is miracle power. It's the miracle power to produce exactly what it says if we'll believe what it says. I mean, the Bible never promises us that the unsaved world is going to get any better. Do you realize that? In fact, that verse said it goes, it's going to go from worse to worse, from bad to worse. It's going to, it's going to the, the evildoers and imposters. The Bible tells us the opposite of the fact that the world is going to get better. It's going to get worse. But even though, remember, we always have to remember this, even though we live in this world, we're actually in another kingdom and not of this world. We're not of the world. We are of the kingdom of God. Jesus said in John uh, 16, 18, verse 36, he said, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would fight. He's talking about fighting against the Jews, fighting against the Romans. He's talking about going out with swords and fighting them. He said, they'd go out and fight if, if it were of this world, that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. We are, we are citizens of a different kingdom. It's not the kingdom of this world. You know, the word kingdom has to do with, with, with a king's dominion, is, is what, where we get that word, kingdom, a king's dominion. And so every kingdom doesn't have a king. I mean, if you think about the dominion of the United States of America, that's the kingdom. That's, that's, that's what it is. It has a domain. Uh, the so, the Russians, Russians have a domain. The British have a domain. All those kingdoms are going to fall. All of them. But the kingdom of God is going to stand forever. And we have that assurance. And I'll tell you, it is better than any kingdom that the earth has to offer to us. We have a fight to fight, but it's called the fight of faith. It's a different kind of fight. We must surrender to the king and his kingdom. You know, there's not a lot taught in churches today about the lordship of Jesus Christ, about surrendering to the Lord, surrendering to him, making him master, making him controller. Not a lot is said about that. Christianity is not... It's not only about getting God to help me with my stuff. Christianity is about me following the master, about me surrendering to the king. Whatever the kingdom 
is that, see, my job in life, your job in life, is to enlarge the kingdom of God. Amen. That's why we're on the planet. When God created Adam and Eve, He created and put them in that wonderful garden, and their job was to expand the garden to all the earth. That was their job. If you read in the Hebrew, when he says to dress and keep it, he's talking about making it grow and expanding to all the world. Well, obviously, Adam messed that up, and, and we've messed up as well. But, but Christianity is more than me getting God to help me with my problems, building my kingdom. Christianity is about me surrendering to the lordship of Jesus Christ. If you think about those original apostles, I mean, they called him master, and they truly believed he was their master. They gave their lives to expand the kingdom of God. Doesn't mean, doesn't mean we all have to be martyrs. Doesn't mean that at all. Doesn't mean that God doesn't want to heal us and, and help us in all the areas of our lives. But it does mean that we surrender to him. And that that's the primary purpose of it. Uh, sadly, today, people don't understand that a whole lot anymore. Um, one time the disciples asked Jesus... They came out and they're looking at the, at the buildings and Jesus starts talking to them. They start asking Jesus about the end of the world or the end of time. And Jesus, the first thing, when they're talking about the end times, the first thing Jesus says is, take heed that no man deceive you. That's an interesting way to start that, that whole thing about the end times. And that was in Matthew 24, 4. The first thing Jesus says is, take heed that no man deceive you. Take heed. He says you, you, the word take heed means, means to behold, to beware, to discern, to have understanding, to see or to look. So what, what, what Jesus is saying is, he, he's, saying, he's saying, be discerning enough that no one deceives you. Be aware and not let anybody deceive you. See, we have this idea that the devil is, is, is this guy dressed in, in red and has horns and a pitchfork. And we think he'd be easy to find, but he, that's not what he is. The devil deceives people. He's a deceiver. He's always been a deceiver. The word for deceive is, is the Greek word planao, which means to, to lead astray, to wander, to stagger, to be led off course, to be affected by someone's outside influence and led in a wrong direction. It's used in the New Testament to depict the depravity, the activity, the false teachers who deliberately led people from liberty of the gospel into, into some kind of spiritual bondage. When Jesus talks about the end times, and, and I believe we're in the end times. When he talked about that, the first statement was, avoid deception. Look around you, be aware, avoid deception. The devil is a deceiver. That's what he does. That's what he's done from the very beginning. When he, when he accosted Adam and Eve in the garden, he didn't overpower them. He deceived them. Psalm 119, 115 verse 16 says that as God rules the heavens, he gave the earth to man to rule. Satan took earth, the authority, the dominion of the earth, away from Adam and Eve. He didn't really take it away. They gave it to him. He deceived them. I mean, he didn't knock Adam to the ground and beat on him and say, oh, give it to me, give it to me. No, he deceived them and Adam and Eve gave it to him through deception. That he's, he doesn't come dressed in, a, in red with a pitchfork. He comes looking like somebody you can trust. You know, he comes, he comes looking like the person that you would want to follow. I mean, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning of verse 3, 
But if our gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Blinded the minds of them. Basically in the Greek it means exactly that. Gives them a mind where they can't see. They're not able to discern. They're not, they're not able they're not to be aware. They're not able to behold or have understanding. It says, He blinds the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine into them. He blinds their, well, he blinds their mind. He hides it from them. This God of the world, He blinds people's minds through deception. Yes. Amen. He doesn't come into their mind and make them mindless, but he convinces them that something else is true. What does he do? Hath God said. Could the Bible really mean that? I found out a long time ago that the that God is a big boy. He says what he means and he means what he says. And if we take time in the word, we'll begin to find out that he means exactly what he said. And, and there's not a lot of wiggle room to argue with him. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5, 8, we've talked on this several times, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He can't devour everybody. He can only devour the ones that he's deceived. He can only devour the ones that... that, that that believe that he's able to devour them. We talked that that, that literally means, devour means to, to slurp up the juices. It's talking about not only does he just eat them alive, but he slurps up everything that's left over. That's what the devil wants to do. But only the deceived can be devoured. This is pretty important stuff. The end times Jesus said, make sure, take heed that you, that you let no man deceive you. Man, we're too busy thinking that the devil looks like the monsters on TV and that the demons look like those, those ones in the movies. You know, I don't know, I don't watch horror movies, but we, we kind of have this, this idea that that's what the devil is like. No, 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 the devil is that nice man on TV. Oh, you know what? Sometimes he comes disguised as a preacher. You can't believe every preacher you watch on TV. You need to always ask the question, where is the chapter and verse? Where does the Bible say that? And does it say it just the one time or does it say it a bunch of times? Remember when the devil tempted Jesus? He quoted scripture to him. You've got to know more scripture than the devil knows. Well, he knows a lot of it, but you've got to understand what it's telling you. I mean, he doesn't come dressed as the mean old devil. He comes dressed as somebody you can trust. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 11:14, And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. The word transformed means to disguise. The devil is disguised as an angel of light. The context of that verse is it's talking about false apostles. Preachers is what that's talking about. False, false apostles. Satan's ministers are disguised as ministers of righteousness. So, yeah, but, but Randy, I, I don't know the Bible that well. Then let's get started, and let's learn what it says. Let's find out what it says. It's, it's not. It's not. It's nothing magic to get into the Word and begin to study it and begin to look at what the Bible says. The devil deceives. That's what he does. He's a deceiver. Jesus said in Matthew twenty four twenty four, talking about the end times. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets. And shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. 
We're talking about preachers that have miracles. Not real miracles, imitated miracles. Amen. I mean, the devil can't create anything. He can only, he can only uh, become an imposter and, and copy somebody else. The very elect, that, that, that phrase means even the chosen. Even the chosen, even the selected could be deceived. You and I are chosen because we made a choice. We've got to make sure we're not deceived. We, that, that's, that's, and when Jesus said that, he said, take heed. You make sure you don't get deceived. We've got to make sure of that. We've got to make sure. How can we avoid deception? That's a good question. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 says this and 18. It says, This I say therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. That's, those are a couple of powerful verses. It's referring to deception. And it says that that deception alienates us from the life of God. The word life talks about connection to God, intimate connection to God, being able to go, to, to, to transcend from the physical world to the spiritual world. People that, that have their minds darkened, which is what Satan does, they, they are separated from their connection to God. So the first thing to avoid is deception. Listen to this, and these are familiar verses to you. This is, this is going to tell you kind of what to do. That you put off concerning the conversation of the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. Who puts off? Ye. I know this King James is hard. Ye means you. <laughs> that you put off concerning the former, con or the word conversation here means actions, behavior that you put off the former behaviors of the old man which are corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Who be renewed? You. Who makes that choice? You. I have to choose to put off and to put something else on. That you put on, ye again, that ye, you, put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, you, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and sin not. Who be angry and sin not? You. And let not the sun go down on your wrath. I'm telling you, when Tammy and I got married, we stayed up late sometimes. <laughs> because we were young. We disagreed about a lot of things. But we, we, we knew what that verse said. And we stayed up until we forgave each other, until we kissed and made up. And we either did it or we pretended we did it because we had to go to sleep at some point. But we didn't want to let the sun Go down on wrath. And it's, then it says, neither give place to the devil. The word place means spot. Don't give him a spot. Don't give him an inch. We're the ones who are supposed to. It's up to us. To, to give the devil a spot is to receive deception. That's what it's talking about, deception. Ephesians 6. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. Whose choice is that? Mine. Yours. I choose. Be strong in the Lord in the power of his might. You mean, wait, wait, wait. We can't just sit here and the anointing come and we just are strong in the Lord in the power of his might? Well, there's a supernatural empowerment, of course. But generally speaking, we choose it. Because God ain't going to make you be strong. I wish he would. I just wish he would. 
You know, I've heard about miracle services. This is back in the 70s where people that were overweight would go up and get prayed for, and they'd just shake and all the weight would go off of them. And I'm just waiting for that service to happen again. But it's like the Lord says, there's another way I could help you with. But it's up to me. Then the next verse says, put on the whole armor of God. Who does that? We do. It's not going to fall out of heaven. we got to put it on. We put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now notice it didn't say that we can stand against the power of the devil. We can, but that's not what that said. It says we can stand against the wiles of the devil. The tricks, the trickery, the deception. The devil's weapon is the deception. He wants to deceive you and will do everything he can. He knows human nature. He knows when you lean in that you're interested. He knows all the things, and he is waiting to deceive you. I want to tell you he's not your friend, and he wants to deceive you. Jesus said that we're to avoid it. We put on the whole armor of God. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. It's up to us to put on the whole armor of God. To truly put on the armor. Not just some some religious recitation, but I mean truly in faith, understanding this armor you're putting on. What, what is it that you're doing? Listen, the armor of God is not a good luck charm. You can't say, okay, devil, I put on the breast of righteousness in Jesus' name like it's King's X, devil. You can't touch me here. Now, you better put it on. Have you ever seen, have you ever watched those movies like the Roman soldiers they have on the breastplate? Have you ever noticed none of them are pot-bellied breastplates? <laughs> I mean, those, those guys are ripped. Those, those breastplates look ripped. Why? Because they represent the kingdom. These are Caesar's breastplates. When we put on the breastplate of righteousness, we may have a pot belly underneath it, but on the outside, it's God's armor. It's his breastplate of righteousness. It's the righteousness that can't be pierced if we put it on. But we've got to put it on. We've got to believe what the Bible says about it, about that. Uh, we've got, we got to make sure it's not, it's, it's not just a good luck charm, but it, it's a spiritual reality that we have to dress ourselves. The enemy is not flesh and blood. It's not the Democrats. Can I just tell you that? <laughs> and you may think, well, yeah, but he's using every one of them. <laughs> the enemy is not flesh and blood. It's spiritual. You look, at, you look at the condition of our nation, the condition of the church in the United States, you know that it's spiritual because it doesn't make any sense when they're calling right wrong and they're calling evil good. Doesn't make any sense. It's a spiritual foe. It's very demonic. We have to understand that, that people are not our problem. It's a spiritual enemy. Just think about it. Cain and Abel, they're like four or five people in the whole world. And what does the devil convince Cain? People, is it, that's his problem. That Abel is the problem convinced him that Abel was the problem. And once again, the devil didn't make Cain kill Abel. He convinced him 
it was the right thing to do. And that somehow that would solve his problem. He didn't, he didn't put the, he, he didn't, he didn't make him do it. He couldn't make him do it because the devil does not have power over your free will unless he convinces you to yield. Ooh, that's good right there. But it says, it says, wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. Then it lists all the armor of God after that. Why do we want to put on the whole armor of God? So we can stand against the wiles of the devil, the methods, the trickery, we're supposed to stand against deception, and that's what the armor of God is about. Now think about this. What's the first part of the armor? The first part that we have to have on to, to withstand deception? Truth. The very first part mentioned is truth. There are lots of other parts of the armor that are attached to the belt. I mean... The, 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 the breastplate is attached to the belt. If they're, wearing, if, they're, if they're wearing leggings, they're attached to the belt. The sword is attached to the belt. I mean, there's a lot attached to the belt. It's the foundation of the armor. What's the foundation of our armor? Truth. We've got to know truth. Not just any truth, the truth. The belt was around the midsection protected the most private parts of the soldier. I mean, it's the foundation. It, we have to have truth in the most private, inward parts of our lives. The midsection is the foundation of balance. Truth is the foundation that brings our lives into balance. The enemy, when, when, when the enemies would fight with each other, the first thing they went for is the midsection because they wanted to gut the opponent. They wanted it to be painful. They wanted them to die in pain. We have to have this belt of truth. The scripture says in Ephesians 4 that we be henceforth no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Truth protects us from deception. Truth protects us. That's the answer to deception. We need to know the truth is connected to the foundation. So here's the question then. What is truth? What, I mean, you know, I think this is true. You think that's true. You know, I was talking to someone this week and they said, well, everybody thinks that they have the high moral ground on the political issues. I'm like, really? This is true. You know, and so you're exactly right. But don't get ahead of me. <laughs> you're exactly right. That's exactly right. The Holy Spirit guides us into truth, the Bible says. Jesus said in John 16, 13, How be it when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. He's called the Spirit of truth. The Spirit of truth. He only tells the truth. He only tells the truth. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Psalm 31, 5 says, Into thy hand I commit my spirit. Thou hast redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. The Father is truth. Isaiah 65, 16 refers to the Father as the God of truth twice. God is true. Jesus is true. The Holy Spirit is true. But Jesus said in John 17, 17, sanctify them through thy truth. Talk, praying to God. Thy word is truth. His word is truth. 
Listen, here's the problem. There's not enough word in the body of Christ for people to stand on the truth. We've allowed things to come into the church that should never have come in because pastors and preachers have become silent about truth that might offend somebody. Because we don't want to make somebody mad. We don't want to offend them. You don't have to preach mad and, and, and preach it every Sunday, but you've got to tell people the truth. They have to know what the truth is. They have to be. The only way to discern between the soul and the spirit is with the word of God. It's the sword that divides between the two. There has to be enough truth from the word taught and preached in the pulpits of America that Christians know the truth and we're not confused about lifestyles. We're not confused about our gender. We're not confused about what is right and what is wrong. We're not confused. We haven't been deceived. I'm telling you, the enemy is telling the lie so loud and so loud and so loud that people are beginning to wonder if maybe it's not true. Well, it's okay for this transgender boy to race against girls because he doesn't know. He, can't, he doesn't know for sure if he's a man or a woman. Yeah, he does. It doesn't take but a second to figure it out. Take off your clothes, look in the mirror, you know for sure. That's truth. we got to know what, the, what what is truth. Oh, man, this is good so far, huh? Churches today, the numbers are a priority. How do I know that? Because I was a pastor. I remember looking out the window, counting the cars. <laughs> Till the Lord, day, Lord said, well, they... He didn't say it out loud to me, but in my spirit, he said, what are you doing? Counting the cars. He goes, you don't need to count cars. You need to count verses as you give them to people. Just give them the word. If there's one, give them the word. If there's 500, give them the word because it doesn't change. If they're new believers, give them the word. If they're old believers, give them the word. Just give them the word. I found out that God, if I gave people the word, the new believers would get on their level. The mature believers would get on their level. And I remember sometimes preaching what I thought were simple messages to some of the most mature believers I'd ever met would come to me and say, that was deep. And like, really? Praise God. He had to tell you that. because he told, he told you something I didn't tell you. I can tell you that for sure. The truth. We... We've allowed church to become this place of entertainment and that the word is lightly esteemed. We can't allow that to happen in any way, shape, form, or fashion. The word is truth. If the truth is not taught and preached, there'll be deception. And deception will seem normal and deception will seem right. The, the, the result is already deception. There's already deception in the church, deception in society. We must have the word. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then you're my disciples indeed. Continue in my word. Not if you've heard my word once. If you continue in my word. I found out we never get, it's beyond tracing out the word of God. As we stay with it, we always find more and find more. He said, you become my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. What makes you free? The truth. Well, not just any truth. The truth you know. You've got to know the truth before the truth will make you free. If you don't know the truth, you'll be deceived. You've got to know the truth from the Word of God. It's not enough to have heard the Word in Sunday school when you were seven. 
You've got to continue in the Word. The Word ought to be a part of our lives every day. Freedom to deception comes from continuing in the Word of God. And I've said this before. There is no such thing as my truth and your truth. There's only the truth. And that is God's Word. It is the truth. Do you know the truth is independent of your perception? Your concepts. It's independent of your beliefs. Belief, I'm getting ready to say something that's going to sound very controversial, then I'll explain it. Belief doesn't impress God unless it's belief in His Word. You can believe the sky is, is green all you want to. That doesn't tell the truth, and you're not going to change it because you believe it. You, I could believe, oh man, I could just believe with all of my heart that I could play basketball in the NBA. <laughs> it's not going to happen no matter how much I believe it now I might become a better basketball player if I believe that but there's no way that's going to happen just because I believe it doesn't make it so well yeah but doesn't the Bible say that all things are possible to him that believe it yes it does but we've got to put things in context all things are possible to him that believeth the Word of God. <laughs> doesn't say it that way, but that's what's possible. God gets on the Word, or the Spirit gets on the Word. The Word is supernatural. When I believe it and I speak it, then it comes to pass because it's the Word. And I've got to put it in the context of what it's talking about, but I've got to make sure it's the Word. Well, you know, I, I, just, I just believe with all of my heart that everything happens for a reason. Yes, it does. It happens for a reason. Sometimes because you've been stupid. <laughs> Sometimes it happens because you prayed and the Spirit of God said, don't go there. And you did anyway. Because I'm just going to claim Psalm 91. If you're not supposed to be there, doesn't matter what you believe. Isn't this good so far? You see, we have to know the truth. We have to know what the Bible says. All things that are, are possible when we believe and agree with what God has already said. That's what the Bible's talking about. That's why my life is not only about me, it's about His kingdom. It's about doing what He has said, following Him. I tell you, in the end times, we must understand deception is the devil's main... Well, it's, it's really the only thing he's got. He's going to have to deceive you. Get you to believe something that God did not say. And if He can get you to believe it, then He'll get you to take it. We've got to believe God. Amen. Now, let me get to my passage of Scripture I needed to get to from the beginning here. Now, we beseech you. This is 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now, we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that you, not, that you be not soon shaken in mind or troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter, as from us, that the day of Christ is at hand. He's talking to these Thessalonians who think that, that the rapture has already occurred. And they think they got a letter from Paul that said it had already happened. Then Paul says, I love this phrase. We've already studied this. Let no man deceive you by any means. Talking about the last days. Don't let anybody deceive you by any means. For that day shall not come. Talking about the rapture. Shall not come except there come a falling away first. And that the man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. And we got that far last time. Verse 4 of that chapter. Whoso opposeth 
and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was with you I told you these things? And now ye know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. So let's talk about that for a few minutes. We've been talking about the end times, and I'm glad you all are here that are visiting. You can actually get all the recordings of the past ones, and, and Bill and Tammy can tell you how to do that after we get done. But he's talking about, we talk about the end times. We've been talking specifically about the rapture of the church. We're talking about the coming of the Antichrist. Uh, and here one of the main instructions is don't be deceived. We've seen that, that we're not to be shaken and troubled by the events of the day. We're not to, to believe every rumor that comes our way and adhere to every false teaching. It's easy to get shaken, isn't it? I mean, I don't know. If we're still shaken from the election that happened in November, we've got some problems. That doesn't mean we have to, to agree with what happened, but it does mean we have to not be shaken. This ought to be the most confident, bold time the church has ever been in its life. We ought to be taking a stand in faith, taking a stand with God, and we've been standing against the spirit of this age. We've seen that right before the rapture, there's going to be a falling away, and then there's going to be the rapture. Immediately after the rapture, the Antichrist will come on the stage of the world. Everybody will know who he is. We taught all that last time. The Antichrist, we saw last time, is called the man of sin. The word sin here in the Greek literally means lawless or lawlessness. It means to shuck off all laws or standards, to throw off old trends, old traditions, old ways, or old molds. Now, isn't it interesting? The church is considered old-fashioned. The belief in, in the marriage between a man and a woman is old-fashioned. The belief in what the blood of Jesus does is old-fashioned. And, and the churches are just throwing those things away. That's lawless because there is the law of God. I'm talking about the Ten Commandments. I'm talking about in you can just see it in nature. You can see the law of God. And he's called the son of perdition. The word perdition means something that's doomed, rotten, ruinous, or decaying. It's a Greek word that is used to describe rotten meat that is filled with maggots. Everything that this Antichrist does is going to stink. Eventually, it's going to be bad. So now we're going to look at more of, at this Antichrist, and we'll see how far I can get here. I didn't realize it's already this late, but we'll see what happens. The Bible says that the Antichrist will exalt himself above all that is called God. This is a bad dude. Once the church has been, church has been raptured, the Antichrist is revealed. This man of lawlessness will move into action. The scripture says, Who opposeth and exalteth, him, exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped. The Antichrist opposeth all that is called God or is worshipped. The Greek word for opposeth is, is the word antikamai. It means to be opposed to or against everything that is established. Every, do you wonder why the spirit of this age is opposed to the church? Yeah. Why is that? It's because it's this spirit of lawlessness. I mean, this, this guy is called the Antichrist. That means he's against Christ. He's against all that Christ is. He's against anything and everything that resembles Jesus and his established ways of righteousness and his word. Everything. He opposes it. It says, in addition to opposing it, he will exalt himself above all that is called God. The word exalteth here in the Greek is, is the word hupereiro, and it means to exalt oneself, to exceedingly exalt oneself, to be highly exalted. It's the idea of being too highly exalted, and the Antichrist is going to exalt himself above all that is called God. 
I mean, he is going to do that. Above means, epi, is the Greek word is epi, it means above, over. It, it, it implies a position of superiority. All The Greek word is panta, which means all, nothing excluded. The word worshipped is, is the Greek word sebasma. It describes anything that can be worshipped, including the worship of God. So the fact that this Antichrist is going to exalt himself as superior to all that is God or that is worshipped means that he's going to elevate himself above all forms of religion in the world, not just Christianity, but mostly Christianity and Judaism. Because those are the two that he hates the most. He will subdue and crush all that is worshipped and esteemed as divine. Because he's going to say, I'm God. And actually he's going to say, I'm higher than God. And, and call himself that. He'll seat himself in the temple of God. The, the word when it says he sitteth in the temple of God, the word sitteth is kavidza, which means to sit down, be seated. It means be permanently seated in the temple of God. It's interesting, the word temple is the Greek word naas, which describes a temple or a decorated shrine. It depicts the image of vaulted ceilings, marble, granite, gold, all the things. It's highly de decorated. But this word is also used in the Septuagint version of the Old Testament. It describes the Holy of Holies which is the most sacred, innermost part of the temple. That's why scholars believe, many scholars believe, there's a reference to, in the future to a rebuilt temple in Jerusalem where the Antichrist will enter and set up and set himself up as God incarnate. So I think that's very plausible, that he'll set himself there. He will demonstrate lying signs and wonders, the Bible says, showing himself that he is God. I mean, he's going he's gonna to do things that make people think that he is actually God. But he's only imitating God, imitating miracles that he can. All right, so let me get to verse 5 and 6. This is where I want to get to. Verse 5, it says, Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. Paul had already talked about this before. And then he says, and then he reminds him in verse 6 what he said. And now you know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. Here he's saying, you already know what is holding him back. You already know why he couldn't, why the Antichrist could not have come. You already know that. I've already talked to you about it. So he's, he's saying that there's something that holds back Satan from introducing the Antichrist to the world. The question is, who is it? What is it? What is holding the Antichrist back? You might be thinking, well, I think I already know who the Antichrist is. He's already there. Well, there's something holding him back. Let's talk about that for a second. The word, he said, now, you know, the word now is the, the Greek word noon, which means at this very moment. At this very moment, he's saying, something is, you already know it, something is holding the Antichrist back. The word that withhold us is an interesting word. The Greek word is katecho. It means to hold fast, to hold down, to hold back, to suppress, to restrain, or to hinder. There is a force that is restraining the Antichrist from coming on the scene. There's a force that's suppressing, holding him back, holding back the floodgates of evil from pouring into the world and taking it over. There's something standing in the way. And the answer to that question, whatever that is, the answer to that question is, has, has been debated by theologians for, for, for 2,000 years. So let's just talk about it for a minute. What is holding the Antichrist back? Or is he already here? Have we already missed the rapture? Well, according to what we studied already in the past few weeks, the rapture occurs and then the Antichrist is revealed. So what is holding him back? Let's look at this. When Paul wrote this to the Thessalonians, they believed that they like had five things that they thought might be with the withholder. Number one, they thought that it might be the Roman Senate. Okay, well, they thought that because in the early church, they believed that the Roman Senate, that God was using the Roman Senate to hold back Nero from unleashing evil throughout the Roman Empire. They thought it might be the Roman Senate. Well, obviously it's not them because they've come and gone. 
and the Antichrist still hadn't come. Number two, people believe that it's God Almighty himself. Some believe that God is restraining Satan, Satan from being able to release the Antichrist. Well, maybe. I don't, I don't think that's right. Some people believe it's the Holy Spirit. They think, well, you know, once the Holy Spirit is gone, when we're gone, the Holy Spirit's going to go. They think it's him. But the Holy Spirit can't be removed from the earth when we go. Because there will be people after the rapture that will be born again in the tribulation. I mean, we already know about the, the, the Jewish, uh, all those Jewish guys that, that, that will be beheaded. They get born again in the tribulation. You can't get born again without the Holy Ghost. And you can't tell me that during the tribulation time that every preacher that wasn't a Christian isn't going back to the Bible to find out what's going on. And you can't tell me that every parishioner that had been in church that didn't go to heaven when grandson went to heaven, when they, and they're still here, they're going to go find out what the truth is, and they're going to fall on their knees, and they're going to proclaim Jesus Christ. Now, not every one of them, but I'm telling you, people are going to get born again during the tribulation. They have to. I mean, they're gonna. Some of them are gonna know. It's gonna be. Oh my goodness, they were right. We're gonna be waving by, but but we were right. So people are gonna be born again. The Holy Spirit can't be the restrainer because He'll still be here. And people have said that it might be Him. Some people say the church is the restrainer because they believe that the church is a supernatural restraint of the earth. Some people believe, or these people believe, that it's Michael the archangel. That's pretty plausible. I mean, Michael is considered. You know, he 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 held back. Uh, uh, the devil and or the, the, Satan in the book of Daniel, the book of Jude. You know he's arguing with with Satan over the over the body of Moses, and he's been restraining Satan. So some people believe that. Well, those are the five possibilities. The, I'll tell you the one I think I, I'm pretty pretty sure it's right. <laughs> in the context of what we see in the scripture, the restrainer that's holding back the Antichrist is the church. We are in his way. Why do you think they want us out of their way? Because they know as long as we're in the way, they can't do what all they want to do. And Satan knows that he can't do it till the church is gone. As long as the church is in the earth, he is restrained. Imagine what would happen if all of God's people were abruptly removed from the earth. Let's say in the twinkling of an eye. What would happen? Well, that's the rapture. In a moment, we looked at this word, atomos, in an atomos of time. We get the word atom from that word. The dead in Christ are raised to life. The believers who are alive will be instantly caught up in the air. When the church is evacuated from the earth, the restraint will be removed. That's when he can do what he wants to do, and he'll be revealed. Paul went on to say, now you know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. The word revealed, the Greek word, means the pulling back of a curtain or a veil, exposing something that was formerly concealed, veiled, and hidden from view. When the church is, 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 is raptured from the earth, the Antichrist will be revealed in his time. That's his time. I mean, he'll be revealed in his specific time. And he won't be, he won't be revealed until we're gone. So here's the good news. We're not going through the, the tribulation. Amen. The Bible says that we're not subject to wrath. And that's what the tribulation is. We're going to be gone from here. Now, we may get to, in heaven, we may get to see the video and find out who it is that's the Antichrist. But we're going to be busy. We're going to be so busy for that seven years while they're down here. It'll seem like just a few minutes. 
because we'll be gazing at Jesus and we'll be worshiping the Lamb. But we are the restrainer. We are the great restrainer. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, tonight I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that, that you put the church in the earth and that we are the restraint that holds back the coming of this Antichrist. That, God, you know exactly what you're doing. You have it all in a great plan. Lord, I pray tonight that we become children of truth. Lord, that we refuse and resist all of, all of the, the deception of the enemy. That we feed our hearts and feed our minds. That we choose to have our minds renewed with the Word of God. We choose to have our minds renewed and can stand against the deception. Lord, we don't want to be a part of the lawless Antichrist. And I thank you we get raptured out of here. But in the meantime, we've got a lot of work to do. Lord Jesus, we want to take as many people in that rapture as we can. And we choose to stand against evil in this day. We choose to fight the fight of faith for the purpose of God. I pray you speak to us clearly. And that we be receptacles of your word. To go out and do what you've called us to do in this time. Father, I thank you. I adore you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.